0: Okay, so um welcome back Tom. I like you. Congratulations on graduating. My my sons think that your you graduating is the coolest thing because they also want to be done with school now. And they were like, we we want to do what Tom did. And I was like, yes, you do. <laughs> hustle it up. Let's <laughs> no, no, not really. You know why it's Anyway, congratulations, dude. Welcome back. Can I here? Oh, yeah. wing? Yeah, I'm okay. good. Flip's great. Right. Thanks. Flip's right. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, real quick, does anyone... Yeah, I'll turn this on as well. I just not want to make fun of Tom on the podcast. So, um, <laughs> so that's okay. Yeah, it'll still be, it'll be picked up. Uh, let's do this. Does someone want to kind of give a rundown of Acts 14 until we're here? So, we've gone... Three weeks, or two weeks on Acts 14, we're going to close up now um, and kind of have a a bookend here at the end of this first journey of them traveling. Um, And then we're going to go into a series for two months, led by different ones of you teaching about the acts of our church. Kind of why we do the things we do, why we use the language we do, why communion looks the way it does, all those things. But we'll do that for two months. But we'll, we'll end Acts 14 here and then pick up after. But does someone want to give kind of what happens in Acts 14? And you don't have to be exactly right. I'll, I'll help you along if you need. Anyone? Persecution. Lots of it. They're, right? they're struggling now. They're struggling. Okay, what, what started, who, who starts the persecution? That's a good question. Someone help them out or you can answer. The Jews. Right, the Jews, right? Jews meaning who? Besides Jewish people. But, synagogue leaders. Yes, yeah, synagogue leaders, the kind of political, religious uh, leader of these certain towns they've been in. Okay, And so as persecution starts, they kind of get kicked out of certain places, right? And they kind of move along by being removed from there. right? There's threats, and so they leave. There's more threats, so they leave. And then what happened last week at Lystra? Do you remember? I got Not yet. Almost. That happens now. You're close. It's the one where they, they perform miracles, but then people want to think that they're Greek gods. Right. Who are the two gods they want to think they are? Zeus and Hermes. Zeus and Hermes. What do Zeus and Hermes do? What are their jobs in like Greek? Lightning. Messenger. Light. <laughs> also, yes, yes. Lightning is one. See, even if you say something like lightning, I'll be like, yes, you're right. You're right. Jonah, you nailed it. No, he does, right? But... What is what is Zeus's role of the gods in god Greek? Romans. Right. He's he's the god of gods. And then what's Hermes' role? The do we know? Is the what? The spokesperson. the spokesperson, right? It's like the mouthpiece of the god that wouldn't do the speaking, because they not have to. Hermes will speak for him, right? So they come in, they do these wonderful these wonderful miracles, they heal some folks and do these things. And so the people say, Oh, It's the coming of Zeus and Hermes. Barnabas must be Zeus, because Paul's talking the whole time. He must be Hermes. Let's worship them, right? And there's, do you remember, there's this this very serious temple built to Zeus in this town. So that, to them, is something that the priests at this temple would hope would come, okay? They They would be hopeful of the coming of Zeus and Hermes, right? And then last week, Drew shared a story that it was what? That there's like this common story or prophecy or narrative going around that what happened once before? Do you remember? It's okay. I'll, I'll tell it now. I, I love it that it told the story. So I'll, I would love to tell you it again. So there's this, I don't remember the writer's name, but a writer in this time, around this region, writes about Zeus and Hermes coming in as people and doing wonderful works but the town doesn't recognize that it's Zeus and Hermes, right? So then Zeus and Hermes show themselves to be these two gods, and because the town didn't recognize them, they they maim and kill them, right? So they punish them for not recognizing who they were. So the town, and, and that was a very, very common story, and especially since a temple to Zeus was built in the city, it would be very, it sounds crazy, but it would be overly reasonable for them to worry if this, these two guys are doing these wonderful things that sound exactly like this other guy's story that we hear in our religion, that we hear prophesied to us, that we hear as like canon to us, if, if we ignore that, they may kill us, right? In fear and in amazement and in hope and whatever else, they start wanting to sacrifice to them, right? And so I'm going to pick up there. Anything else we wanted to add? Anyone else? It's okay if you do. There's, there's still time. No. Okay, let's just get into it then. So in in 14 uh, I'm just going to start in verse 11, chapter 14 verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Laconian, "The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men." Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen And garlands to the gates. And one of the offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it. They tore their garments and rushed into the crowd. Crying out men why are you doing these things. We are also men. Of like nature of you. And we bring to you good news. That you should turn from these vain things. To a living God. Who makes heaven and earth and sea. And all that's in them in past generations. He allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even, the words, even with those words, he scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. So why, why is it important again that they tear their clothes and they make a big deal out of, no, we're not Zeus and Hermes? Why wouldn't they go along with it? Like, well, you know, <laughs> it's very kind. <laughs> we'll, we'll explain to you that you're wrong, but go ahead and do your thing. Why would they not do that? I mean, that would be like accepting course, right? And then what happened a little bit before this with a Caesar? They said, oh, surely this is one who's like God. And what did Caesar do? Worms. Let it ride. Let it rode with it, and then he got worms and died. <laughs> right? He kind of lets it ride, like, yeah, that sounds fine. I'll, I'll allow this. I am kind of great. I'm pretty awesome. I like that they're saying this. I can get a lot done politically if they think, I'm oh, a God, this sounds awesome. What happens? He's struck. He worms on the inside, right, and dies. Real weird, strange, but that's the explanation. But that's what happens. And so Paul and Barnabas tear their clothes. It's like a sign of even mourning or deep distress. He's like, no, for the love, look how serious we are. This is not, this is not it. You're missing it. You're, you're missing our entire story here. We are just proclaiming God. We're proclaiming this living God. We're proclaiming this good news coming from this living God. We are not ourselves God, right? So they do this. They barely restrain them from sacrificing to them. Which is crazy because they're like, no, we're not doing that. You're not going to fool us and then kill us all after. No way. That's not how this is going to get. We've heard that story. No way. And he barely restrains them. And then in verse 19, But Jews from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds. Look how much this turns. They want to sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds they stone Paul and drag him out of the city supposing he was dead. I mean, that turned around really fast. Right? Why in the world, what, what's the thought here when you hear this, what, what are the first, how in the world could they go from wanting to sacrifice oxen, giving them garlands, bringing them to the front of the temple of Zeus to stoning one of them to the point where they think he's dead and drag him out of the city. Why? What's the thought on that? It's not a very deep belief, like they believe there's Zeus and Hermes just because they don't want to be like killed because of this prophecy. It's like a really truly held deep beliefs. So they're just kind of swayed by, the prophecy or what, you know, the leader Jews are telling them it's not really deeply held beliefs. Right. No deeply held beliefs, maybe just easily swayed? That's reasonable. That's good. And that's, that's what's interesting, too. They're in the same crowd, it seems. It seems these people are, are still at the city trying to sacrifice. It, being, being in the same... I don't know. No, it's not in the same breath of writing. That sounds silly. But being in the same storyline as it is, yes, some of them may have went home. Some of the Hellenists may have gone. And gone home and be like, ah, they're not Zeus or Hermes. But likely, everyone in the city is here. It's, there's a huge crowd and so, as it's saying, then Jews came up, it, it's also possible that as this is going on, there's multiple voices in the crowd. So, there's multiple things happening. What else? But yes, likely both. I mean, the Jews would have their own same issues that they've had with Paul and Barnabas from the start. Yes, Martinus, from Crete. Right. Symposium. Right, exactly. So. Exactly. It's very opportunistic because Jews are monotheistic. Paul and Barnabas are trying to emphasize one true God don't worship us but the Jews go ahead and take advantage of the opportunity to stir up the anger of that crowd because Paul and Barnabas aren't going along with their concept of how they want to worship these men according to their Greek gods so it's, it's so hypocritical in a sense, so like I don't, I don't care that these guys are trying to be humble. But let's go ahead and of the situation. Right. they're still disappointing someone. Yeah, let's kill them for that. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to trick you. Maybe. I mean, who knows? Who knows what they're saying? We don't have the arguments that are pointed out. Right, we don't have listed here. The writer here, more than likely, Luke doesn't go through and say, "Well, here's what they were saying to get them stirred up and to make them want to kill them." Right? we don't have that. But really, I think a lot of it comes down to the scene is chaotic. It's chaos. It's craziness happening. This is, this is absolute mob. This is borderline riot to get the sacrifice to them. There's everyone in the city coming out to see what's going on. This is a lot of joy because people are being healed, right? And crippled folks are walking. They're having amazing things happen. Then the religious leaders get into it, political leaders get involved. They want to sacrifice at their temple they've never had a sacrifice for, so everyone wants to come out to that. So there's this weird, strange, everyone's kind of for their own agenda in this mob. It's crazy. And then the, the Jewish leaders come in, and they're starting to stir up the mob, and they're doing this. Yes, maybe some people leave, and it's these out-of-town folks coming to stir up anger. These aren't even the Jews from this town. It's the ones that have followed them wanting to persecute them, right? And then all it says, our explanation here is, and they were persuaded, in the midst of all this craziness, they were persuaded to stone them. That is, yes, a very interesting turn of events in the midst of the mob. It's chaos, it's a crazy scene, it's mob mentality in every way. It is a very wild scene. And do we know... Do we have a handle on what stoning would look like? Do we... I mean, it's not like light Sunday afternoon reading. Probably people have been like, yeah, I read three books about stoning last week. It was very intriguing. Right? It's it's brutal, awful thing. People... It's, it's very interesting the way writers will describe it now, especially re- religious scholars and stuff will write about it, because they'll they'll almost act like it's a way of execution. But, but people act like it's this... Um, gas chamber, electric chair kind of execution that's like, by the state, there's justice around it, however you see that. Punch Whatever, we're not talking about that right now. But however you see that, the, the idea isn't to seek justice. There's no trial for stoning. You don't, you don't go to trial and then usually get stoned to death. That's not usually the way it works. Sometimes it would, but it would be a mockery of a trial. Doubtful justice. It's, it's more like a, a lynch mob. It would look much more like that, okay? It would look much more like people just hungry for revenge or hungry for hate or hungry to terrorize or, or hungry to just do harm just for kind of that wickedness of like hurting someone or being a part of something that does that. And you're not having to do it, right? Because you're a big crowd. So you kind of get out of it, but you get the, the, this terrible, weirdly tasteful, you know, you get to do wicked in a crowd. And, and what they would do this for, and the reason they would stone someone in this day is because it was brutal and graphic, is because it's not like you're dropping one big rock on someone. It's not like they calmly get them, go on trial, tie them, bring them out. It's, it's not like that. It is a mob mentality. Someone starts to mention it. They go for it. And it's graphic and awful. So there were a few different kinds. I don't want to be too much into it just because of... I don't want to explain this later to Asher so much, but... The different ways they would do this... Sometimes they would put someone in a pit... Almost start spelling that. I really did. Almost. Like spelling what they did. But that would be so strange. That's what we do at home. You know, if I don't want to say something that's... I'll spell it. You know, poorly. Wrongly. And Lily will be confused at what I'm trying to spell. Because I can't spell. she would be like... Let's just say it. And then explain it after. Or just explain it wrong. I can't do this with you. You're a terrible speller. Like You're, you're true. You're right. Fair. So they would put someone in a pit. In the pit... They would together bring rocks too big for people to carry and, yes, roll them or throw them down on a person who, in the small of a pit, would just be smashed and buried kind of with them. Um, Also, they would hold someone down, get them down, pin them down, and then, like, very, again, awful, walk up one by one with rocks they could barely hold and, and physically close to them commit the act of stoning or you would have just such a huge gathering of people with big enough stones that you would have people holding them in the middle of the crowd while you're throwing and while you're hitting someone with them. But it was rarely like, everyone get in line and grab a rock. The person's going to stay still because they know justice is about to be served and we're going to calmly do this cleanly. It's, it's never that way. It was always mob. The only thing, I read this long, awful kind of study on lynchings in the South recently, and it sounds so much like this. Because it was not used for justice. It was used for revenge and terrorism. And it would be, they would choose to stone them in the crowd to show all the other people that are starting to follow their way, this is a bad choice. This is what happens to you. And it was ugly enough, and and brutal enough, and torturous enough, so that hopefully you could squelch a movement, hopefully you could squelch anyone doing this crime again, if it was a crime. Um, they would use this, and I'm as awful as this was, they would, they would use stoning a lot for, for women that were supposedly accused of adultery to make sure all the other women in the area knew to stay in line and not be accused even of adultery. So you would strike fear in people. That's what, that's what this was. It was a fear-based murder in public. I am mom. In chaos and disorganization and just wild sea. That was the intent. Okay. Also, everything I've read on this in the past or lately, this happened enough where people were good at it. Where there was there wasn't like a there wasn't a lot of stories of people surviving them. It wasn't like, oh, you know, sometimes they live. During Estonia, that was never—it's never known to be that way. It was always used to do its job, and it was usually very efficient at doing it. It was very graphic and awful, and you know—I want to again how graphic to be—it's awful looking, right? It looked bad and scary and torturous, right? So they do this. It works enough. They think they did their work. They think he's dead. They drag him out of town. Again, crazy. So I'm going to read it again, just because again we can't think of it as this clean. Oh, they tried to induce capital punishment on him; it didn't work. No, they stone him and drag him out of the out of the city, supposing he's dead. Drag him out and leave him at the city at the city gates at the road of the city. So, regardless, this person is mangled and maimed. And beaten, and in an awful way, drug, however far that is, out of town, and they throw him out, good riddance, right? And then they leave. Then what happens? But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, entered the city, and the next day he went to Barnab- he went with Barnabas to Derbe, When they had preached the gospel to that city. They made many more disciples. They returned to Lystra and and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. So here's also a big debate on this passage. So one of the big discussions and debates I think it's fair but I don't think it's necessarily I don't think it's the most important debate but one of the big ones is if Paul really does die or not. So when these disciples gather around him do they pray and he's healed and he gets up Like he's not hurt, like his wounds are healed, and he looks like Paul before a stoning again, and he goes into town, right? Or is it that he is on the step of death and just lives and has to get up under his strange own power and is really maimed and mangled and looks awful and his clothes are the way they should look after a stoning, and his body looks the way it does after a stoning, and he stumbles back into town with disciples helping him and around him. And here's the deal with this debate. Regardless, regardless of the debate, uh, I think it's safe to say it is miraculous that the person lives through this one, right? Paul later goes through a list of things that happened to him, right, in in 2 Corinthians. He goes through a list and he says, five times I was whipped with lashes, the 40 minus one. You know, I've been shipwrecked once I was stoned this happens, this happens, I was beaten with rods, I was hungry, I was stranded in the ocean for a day and a half once. All, all these things. He goes through this list, and all of them are awful. All of them can induce you dying, right? The, the lashing was, oftentimes, would kill them too, right? The 39. So, this is, regardless, it's amazing that he lives. It's amazing that he lives. The difference is, what the people see when he gets up as why the debate, Right. Because if he's healed, right, if he's dramatically healed and doesn't have any wounds, he seems good to go, his clothes are right, his body is right, his face is not, you know, contorted or injured or crippled or any of these things from a stoning, he goes back into town. There's amazement because they would have seen him in the way his body looked when he was dragged out of town, right, when they dragged him and put him outside the gate, and then now he doesn't look like that. So it would be amazing in that way. It would be crazy. It would be, and you... It would be this miraculous healing of God. They would recognize it as such. They would understand it as such. But it doesn't say that that's what happens. It, it doesn't. It doesn't even say the disciples pray for them. And usually in these instances, when someone's raised from the dead, when they're healed from you know being lame or whatever, they have this, we have this detailed account of someone praying or touching their hand on them or doing something to enact that. Here we don't have it. We don't have that. And that doesn't mean it didn't happen that way, but we don't have it. More likely, it seems, is that legitimately, he just doesn't die. Yes, God would have to help him not die. It's not like God's not a part of this, you know, miracle of him not dying. But that, in fact, he does go back into the city right then, looking like he's been beat nearly to death. So he gets up, goes back into the city, and what does he do when he gets there? Do we know? What's it say? Eventually, but what's he do right when he gets back in? Continues to strengthen, continues to talk, preach, and strengthen. the Yeah. exactly so all over people would know what had happened it 's a huge uproar in a city around other cities. The first thing he does is gets up and he makes sure that people know that that 's not enough to stop the kingdom of heaven at hand right it 's not only not enough to stop and it 's not enough to squelch their faith right it 's not, it's not that, but it seems it seems not i 'm not just trying to say it seems to me, but it seems very clear that he doesn't want even the terror aspect of this to work. He doesn't want the threat of stoning to hinder. He doesn't want the pain of suffering to be a hindrance for someone. He doesn't want their faith squelched because of something that happened to a leader that then might happen to them in the future. So he goes back personally to encourage them. Personally to discuss. He doesn't say, okay, I need time off. Would you go tell them I'm alive? You know, can you just Go take care of this for me. I'm exhausted. I just was beaten with rocks to the point of death. Can we we have someone go explain that now I'm okay? Right? Here, send something to prove that it's true. No, it was important. It seems important for Paul to show his face, his voice, his wounds, that this is the case. The king of heaven is still very much present, that this movement is very much not dead and even if I was it wouldn't be, but I am in fact not. And this idea of going to encourage in the midst of suffering is very interesting to me. It's it's so It just seems like the right choice and a terrible choice at the same time, right? To just go back into the town right after? Why do that? Why just why go to the very next town over and then continue to say the same things you're saying, that they just succeeded in getting the entire crowd around you so upset with you that they stoned you to death nearly, right? Or to death, depending on how you, you know, interpret this passage. Either way, why did you do that, right? And I think our 2018 selves who've read so much and sometimes glorify uh, martyrdom and all these things have a hard time understanding that because we're like, well, of course that's what you should do, right? Good for him being strong and just going back and, and making sure they know. But in our own shoes of that, right, that, that is crazy. That's crazy to do. I mean, think of it as a part of Austin that someone is going and performing wonderful things for and doing great things for that area and that town and this, this group of people And they get riled up in this weird, chaotic mob. Borderline kill the person. And the first thing that person does, get out of the hospital early and then just go back over to show them, no, you you didn't finish the job. No, there's more to me still. No, there's more to this kingdom of heaven at hand still. It just doesn't make sense in our day. Right? It doesn't make sense to... Instead of necessarily seeking justice, to go and no encourage the people that might be fearful because of what that group of people has done. It's a very selfless act. All in all, it's this—it's this beautiful worrying more about the kingdom than self, worrying more about the embarrassment of going back in beaten, near to death, so that I can encourage the church that's new and budding and can flourish, and I want it to be so. Right? That's exactly what happens. The, what happens is this exhorting. And what exhorting would mean in this, this case, it's not just like an encourager. It's this unique idea of coming alongside and like wrapping an arm to move forward. It's this picture of to, for, for the, our translation to say he exhorted the believers there, is not just like, oh encourage them, you guys can do it. It was no a let's still do this together. I'm here with you, I'm alongside of you. We are, in fact, moving together now. And so I just and the last thing to say about just the stony park is we'll keep going from there, but the beautiful thing about that. Is That is what Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will do for people over and over and over, right? Before Jesus ascends. No, the the helper is coming alongside of you, right? The helper will give you wisdom. The helper will actually help you. Won't tell you what to do and lead you to do it. Will come alongside and be like this exhorting power within you. And so again, these disciples, the apostles here, as they're moving see themselves as actual arms and hands and feet of Jesus. And so they want to make sure to do the very things that Jesus would do. It's not just, again, it's not just them leaving and mailing back letters right away saying, you can do it. You've got this. Don't be afraid. It's someone coming back from a stoning and saying, no, let's lock arms. I want to actually exhort you. I I want to, to say, let's still do this. We cannot be stopped in doing this as the Holy Spirit would. And so when these, when these churches would hear about the Holy Spirit coming alongside, they could actually embody that in an image. They could say, oh, similar to what Paul and Barnabas did for us. That makes sense. Similar to those people that came. And even though they half killed him or killed him, whatever it was, the guy came back in the city and encouraged us and ate with us and gave us some of the money from the other town and continue to teach and continue to guide us alongside and continue to teach us not to be afraid. And to help us with their body not be afraid. It's very different. And then as they go, we'll keep reading, as soon as they go, they strengthen the soul of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That's so interesting that that's an encouragement at this point. (laughs) He's telling them this may also happen, it may also have to happen to you, for you to enter the kingdom of God. Like, that is the, it's less encouraging than you think it might be, wrong, but maybe not. Um, and then they appointed elders from every church, prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord um, whom they had believed. Then they passed through Assidia, came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adalia, and from there they sailed back to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God, which the work that they had fulfilled. When they arrived, they gathered the church together, declared all that God had done, and how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with those disciples. So we have this first journey. And again, how did this journey start? Do you remember? How did it begin? What was the, the catalytic event for them to leave go share this good news in these places. What was it? you remember? Praying together with leaders of their church at Antioch and the Holy Spirit calls them out. Right? This idea of this calling out of people amongst another people. Do you think when they were called out to go and do this, what were their hopes looking like? What did they, what did they picture this journey becoming? Right? What, what were their ideas of how it would go? Do you think that they, they genuinely thought it would, they would get to talk to a Caesar right off the bat? That they would get to talk to people who were the utmost of political pedigree and maybe change the course of how Christianity, how this new following Jesus Christ would be viewed in that region? Probably not. So it's probably better than they thought in a lot of ways. They, did they think that they would get to go and pray for people to be healed at synagogues and at temples and all these wonderful things happened. did you think that they would be able did they imagine they would be able to see new churches like birth in all these different towns, they may have maybe they didn't think it could go so well and then also though do you think they they really imagined that maybe some of them wouldn't come back that maybe if they did come back they might be crippled for life because of what happened to them a lot of scholars would think, too, that this like forward impulse flesh that he describes later is definitely a physical element from him being beaten and suffering and being tortured all this time. So, you know, there's lots of ideas thrown around that people don't really have a lot of evidence for, but a lot of it is probably and likely from a stoning that didn't work. That your life is different because of it. Do you think they imagine that? Do you think that they imagine that it would be so hard that they're their nephew and friend, John Mark, wouldn't continue and would go home and cause a huge rift in their friendship and relationship for years and years and years later. No, probably not. This entire journey, this this, we're going to listen to the Holy Spirit and go where the Holy Spirit sins. We're going to speak when the Holy Spirit asks. We're going to do what the Holy Spirit asks. We're going to wait and be excited and we're going to talk about this gospel, we're going to live this gospel, we're going to strengthen these people, we're going to do this, we're going to see the world change with us. No, they don't have an idea of what that's going to look like. No. I mean, if so, they probably would have gone differently. They might have explained walking through the door of the town, by the way, we're going to do cool things, we're not Zeus and Hermes. More than likely. No, they don't. They just know they're, they're passionate about something beautiful they know the kingdom of heaven that's at hand for real with them is worth whatever would be asked. they to leave their homes, leave their town, their culture, they're very comfortable with, their successful church. Right? The only one like it in the world. To leave that and go after something different. See some successes, see some failure, to see their human inadequacies in their relationships. Right? To see God do amazing things to them, to heal sick people. And to see the worst of mob mentality and people that just want to lynch stone them. They see all these things, and when they go back along the way, it seems they just cannot wait to tell, though, how wonderful it was, and how wild the story was, how rich their life was in that year, year and a half. But they just seemed to not be able to wait to give word to the church at Antioch. Yes, these things happen. We are still here. We are very much still a part of this. We are very much a part of this with you. But yes, it is harder than we imagined. Yes, it's more exciting than we imagined. Yes, we are as human as we imagined. But it was beautiful. People's lives are changed. And there's churches there that are also excited about the kingdom of heaven And there's debates to be had. And there's messiness that's going to ensue. There were mobs. There were murderous threats. There was all of these things. And it just seems like they are living this life to the full for real is what it seems. They come back and tell them, and they don't even just stay for a second and go. They stay like two and a half years back at Antioch. Just so excited for what's taking place and ready to just wait on the Holy Spirit. Again. And mostly on this, there's so many parts of this, I'm just so caught with kind of the determination of the apostles here, the disciples, to not want chaos and revenge and ugliness to be the last thing people see of the kingdom of heaven, they go back in town you know, they show them no it also perseveres, it exhorts it's good, it's encouraging it is fierce, right? shows this with their bodies, with their selves, with their decisions but then also this idea of going back through and encouraging and telling them no, hold on, no, let's do this it's just it's just very exciting and I think as people when we go through difficult times, when it's when we notice our ugliness, right? We notice the humanness of us. And there's someone else enjoying, like, all the beauty and wonder and amazement and joy or whatever of the kingdom of heaven at hand in in the midst of us. And then someone's experiencing for real suffering. Some, maybe, that we know, experiencing tribulation on the gospel's behalf. We're not sure, right? All these things. But for us to, to better encourage and exhort each other in the midst of that is something we have to learn something we have to be more open about. It's very difficult for us, for whatever reason, when someone's going through something so difficult, to come alongside for real and lock arms. We can encourage them on Sundays and send them the properly timed email, right? Saying, oh yeah, I haven't forgot I'm praying for you. When who knows if you have or not, right? It's just very easy and convenient to say and sounds very nice to them probably. We do that, probably decent with that, Maybe. We're probably decent at giving someone a story about, ah, that happened to me once. Yeah, you can do it. It's not that bad. Your parents are the worst at that. It's going to be fine. But what is it like to actually come and lock arms with someone and say, no, let's go. We're we are doing this together. We'll mourn when we're supposed to mourn. We'll dance when we're supposed to dance. We'll... we'll say thank you when we're supposed to say thank you. We'll imagine when we're supposed to imagine. We'll apologize when we should apologize, but we're going to do all of that together. And honestly, we just don't have a good model of even what that looks like. Because this looks extreme. It looks like a lot. But I think that is, as we're going, as we take a break from Acts for two months, I think that is kind of this hope that I'm praying for us. And for, for myself, just Lily and I, to be able to do that a little differently, to explore in that a little, and to actually try to come alongside people and not just encourage them from somewhere else, right? And I, I want us to attempt this. I want us to dispense on doing this the next two months as we talk about, you know, what our church does and why we do communion this way and why we pray the way we do. Why do we, why do we think we should call ourselves missionaries? What, what does this word servants even mean? What does it mean to be a disciple-maker or a learner? What does that mean? As we do that and as we teach each other that and as we listen to each other, that we would do it in a way where we all do this and we move forward together. Right. So let's pray on that, and then we'll enter a time of community together. Right. God, we, we do want to be able to learn from such a wild story. Story of a town wanting to sacrifice the two guys because they think they're gods, and then in the next breath they stone them and drag them out of town. That seems just like that. Honestly, to me, it just seems like a story it's very difficult to put ourselves in the place of. Because, in all honesty, hopefully, we never even know anyone close to that situation. Is what my brain thinks. We got two. We do know. That that is something in the world that does take place. We know people deal with this life all the time. We also know that they exhorted each other in the midst of that suffering, of that joy, of that difficulty. And We have a hard time exhorting each other when people in our church go through trial or when they're afraid or when there's trouble just because we're busy with work or man, it's stressful. Or, oh, I just didn't know the right thing to say, so I said nothing. And so God, maybe would be encouraged by a group of people that after they were threatened, after they were stoned to death, said, know the important thing are those people I've been discussing life with for two months. I need to go back to them to make sure they're okay. I need them to know the kingdom of heaven is still moving forward. Maybe will be people who do that. In the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our joys, we people that walk alongside of our friends, walk alongside of our church family and say, let's continue to do this together. Let's move forward. Let's enjoy this.